Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Please note. This podcast is not suitable for children. At the moment, we're experiencing 28 assaults on staff each and every day, 365 days a year. You're listening to Justice, a podcast series exploring all aspects of the criminal justice system with me, prison philanthropist and founder of One Small Thing, Edwina Grosvenor. The Prison Officers Association, the POA, is the largest union in the UK, representing over 35,000 prison officers and other staff working in prisons and other secure settings. In this episode, Edwina talks to its current chair, Mark Fairhurst, about the current challenges facing its members. My name's Mark Fairhurst. I'm the National Chair of the Prison Officers Association. Mark, can you tell me why and when the POA was set up? Well, we officially formed as a trade union in 1939. Before that, we were amalgamated with the police officers. So the prison officers and the police officers formed one union. In 1939, we went alone and we've been in existence ever since. Why did that split happen? And is it is it better now that the union... I mean, because they're quite different jobs. I mean, there's some similarities, but... Well, we have the powers of a constable on duty those of us who work in the public sector. But I think it's always better that you have your own union specific to your own workplace. I know the larger unions in the country have a lot of different occupations to deal with, but when you look at a prison officer's role, we are unique. There is no other industry like us. So I think it's important to have that specialist union dedicated to those who work within secure environments. And that's hospitals, isn't it, as well as... Yeah, we we do public sector prisons, private sector prisons. We do secure hospitals. We do escort services. Anyone who works in a secure environment is entitled to join the POA in prisons. We have teachers in the POA, nurses in the POA, admin grades in the POA, workshop instructors. So if you work in a secure environment, you can join the POA. And what was it actually set up to do? Why does it exist? And, and why, you know, if I was a prison officer, why should I join the union? Well, you should join the union as a prison officer because we are the recognised trade union to deal with improving your terms and conditions and to represent you on disciplinaries and grievances. So we are the recognised union. And it's not just prison officers who should join a union. Any worker should join a trade union. Right. You know, especially in today's modern society where there's a lot of exploitation and a lot of bullying going on from managers 
and employers. It's more important than ever that if you are in employment, you should join your recognised trade union in your workplace. Right. So kind of when the SHIT hits the fan, you want to be part of a a union to be able to get legal advice, legal representation. Well, trade unions offer so much. I mean, I don't want anyone in my workplace to be phoning me up saying I've just been suspended, accused of something. And for me to say, well, were you a member of the union when it happened? And they say, no. I say, well, I can't help you. It's a bit like car insurance. If you haven't got car insurance and have a crash, you can't phone up a provider and say, well, can you insure me? I've just had a crash. Right. And as well as the legal advice, you're part of a family because we offer so many support services for a variety of different things. So I just want everyone to join a union. And I know there's a lot of ethics that goes on and personal opinions and people fall out with trade unions, but we're there for workers and workers need a voice and we are that voice. And even more so now today in our prison system, in the last five years, assaults on staff have trebled, according to the Bromley briefings this summer, 2019. What would you say about that? Because I could imagine the phone has been ringing off the hook with people who've been injured. At the moment, we're experiencing 28 assaults on staff each and every day, 365 days a year. A lot of those assaults are serious assaults, and a lot of our members are receiving life-changing injuries. Some of them will never work again. Not only that, but there's a lot of suicides and self-harm in prisons. If you come across someone who's committed suicide, you're part of that investigation. You'll end up in coroner's court. There are many occasions, and we've just had six members of staff who who were suspended for over 12 months who the employer did not support legally because they said there was a conflict of interest who ended up getting charged with manslaughter and misconduct in a public office because of a death in custody if they were not poa members you can't get that legal representation on your house insurance which is a common myth amongst many non-trade union members And to get that specialist representation in a court, especially when you're facing charges such as manslaughter, a barrister will want a retainer of £2,000 a month. All those six people who were POA members were found not guilty and their legal bills per member came to in excess of £80,000 each. Oh, my God. The POA pay that. We pay that because you're protected as a POA member. If you're not a member, how are you going to cover those costs? So if you're a member, you have to pay to be a member, I presume. That's how you... Yeah, like every trade union in the country, you pay a monthly subscription. Okay. And is that why some people might not do it? Because they think, oh my God, I can't... That's fine. And we get that a lot. I can't afford the fees. But when you consider everything that's available to you, and when you consider the loss of your employment, the loss of the earning capacity and the financial strain it will put upon you as a non-union member if you do get dismissed because there's no one there to represent you. The costs outweigh what you would face if you weren't a trade union member. Yeah. And we're pretty cheap compared to other unions. Yeah, and how many um, members do you have? And, and what's the split between the private and public prisons and people signing Yeah, well, up? there's only about 14 private sector prisons. We don't have recognition rights with all those providers. Yeah. 
we do with G4S and we do with Sodexo at Northumberland. So we've probably got about 3,000 members in the private sector. Uh, we're currently running around about 28,000 members uh, throughout the UK. Yeah. So we have POA England and Wales. We have our own executive in Scotland and we have an area committee in Northern Ireland. So we embrace the entire UK. Okay. And what are your views on um, prison officers and their pay? How much does an entry-level prison officer get to start? And maybe you could give some comparisons of how that compares to police officers or fire. Well, there's an easy answer to that. Not enough. Okay. (laughs) And it depends whereabouts in the country you are recruited because the official starting salary is just above £22,000 per year. If you were in what's called a red site, a red site is classed as somewhere where it's difficult to recruit. So you've got inner city London and you've got places in rural areas like Guy's Marsh in Dorset. The Isle of Wight have exhausted their recruitment pool now. They're really struggling. Right. But not everybody is classed as a red site. So, for example, all the jails in inner city London, they get what's called a market supplement. So they join on £22,000 a year. They get an additional £5,000 a year uh, because of the status of that jail, which would apply to all red sites, between three and 5000 But that's not pensionable, so you get pensions on your 22. And the market supplement is not cast in stone. You're relying on the employer to recommend it to a pay review body, a pay review body to agree it, and the government to approve it. So that's not cast in stone. That can be removed at any time. So we used to have London waiting allowance, then they scrapped it. And the pay structures, quite simply, are not compatible with other public sector bodies. So, for example, at the moment, there is a major recruitment campaign with the police throughout the country. We're losing a lot of people to the police. We're going to lose even more to the police because although their starting salaries are lower, after 12 months in the job, they go on £24,000 a year. Right, so what, they'd come in at what? So they a prison officer in, would come yeah. in at about 22, a police officer would come in at... Well, a prison officer comes in at 22, a police officer comes in at 19. But then they jump to After the completion of their training, they jump to 24. Right. And then they get yearly increments. So the biggest comparison that I could give you would be after seven years on the beat as a police constable, I'm earning at least £37,000 a year. Okay. After seven years as a prison officer, the most I can earn is £25,000 a year. Even as a middle manager in the prison service, I will get nowhere near £37,000 a year. Right. Does that come down to qualifications and training, though? Because surely, you know, pay has to somehow be in line with how qualified someone is or how much training they get. And, of course, you know, the training is what it was six weeks to become a prison officer. I think it's now ten. How that compares to the police, I'm not sure. Do you know how well, well the much police, training they get? The police have about I think it's about six months, twenty four weeks training. Okay, so they, substantially they more. have a two year probationary period. We have a recruitment process whereby you don't need any qualifications. What, to become a prison officer? No, you do an online test at home and you okay. go to an assessment centre. So you could have no GCSEs? No, you don't need nothing. Right. Nothing at all. You just do the tests, you go to the assessment centre, you you pass a job simulation, uh, a fitness test. 
you don't even have to have an interview these days. Really? Uh, you're recruited, you'd go away for 10 weeks and then you're qualified as a prison officer. Hmm. Simple as that. Not adequate, not good enough. So if you were in charge of sort of redesigning the training, how many months do you think it should be? Do you have an idea? I'm sure you've thought about it a lot of what that should look like. Well, they're actually, because of our complaints, changing the training now, they're going to take it over a 12-month period with a dissection of classroom-based stuff, residential, combined with working in your jail on the London, so you can put the practice in on the London's, you know, what you've learned in the classroom. So you'll go away for two weeks residential, come back to your jail for another two weeks, put that into practice, and then that'll continue over a 12-month period. But the whole system is wrong. There's too much emphasis on theoretical stuff rather than practical stuff. And mm. what we need at the moment is we need people to get taught how to deal with violence, how to deal with conflict, how to engage with people, difficult people. How to de-escalate violence. De-escalate without a shadow of a doubt, yeah. Would there be something in there? Because it's always struck me as quite odd that, you know, sort of within that short amount of training that prison officers get, you know, it's not usually, it might have changed a bit more recently, but, you know, you just get taught about the prisoner as opposed to, is this person a child? Um, is this person a woman? Is this person a man? And the differences, the huge differences of working in a, a cat A male compared to a female prison compared to working in a youth offenders institute are huge. And that's never really been reflected in any great detail, I don't think. No, that's one of the issues we've got with the training. It's not prison specific. So it's based mainly around a closed adult male estate. You know, there's nothing specific for the high security estate, the open estate female estate, juvenile estate. There's not a lot, and there's too much emphasis on policy rather than dealing with human beings and analysing why they are the way they are and what can you do to help them improve. Yeah, and also I find, you know, the difference for a female officer working in a male prison and a man working in a female jail, you know, huge. I know, you know, when I'm in and out of the prisons, I carry myself very differently in a male prison. I think about it much more when I'm in the women's prisons. I'm just like, you know, I don't think about it. I'm in there, I'm with other women. It's, you know, it's easy for me. Um, it's not as easy for me when I'm in a male prison. So, you know, I've always thought also with the training that people need to kind of know that. If people are joining the prison service aged 18. That's one of the problems. And there always used to be an upper age limit of 21 which I think is a good idea. I know legislation has changed, but it really does need to be looked at. In some instances, you've got 18-year-old prison officers looking after 19- and 20-year-old young offenders. You know, it just doesn't sit right. No. You need that life experience of feeling our environment to have a chance of success, and that's why over 50% of people who leave the job are within the first two years of the service because there's absolutely no support whatsoever for them once they qualify and hit the landings. There's very few experienced staff around at the moment because of the call we faced back in 2010. Mm -hmm. And then we brought in what we'll call POELT mentors. So a POELT is a prison officer entry level training. 
we introduced a mentor scheme so we had experienced staff there specifically for the new staff to guide them to coach them to deal with all their issues which is a great initiative which we fully supported and then that lasted for 12 months and the employer in their wisdom withdrew the funding and left it to local governor autonomy to decide if they wanted to continue with that scheme and obviously governors are going to save money and don't value it as much as the POA. And what is your view on the strategic review? There's been quite a bit in the news about old prisons closing and then they're not going to close and they are going to close and building new ones. And I have to say, I'm left slightly confused as to what's happening. Can you shed any light on what's closing and what's not and what's going on? Well, Lucy Fraser said that they've now abandoned... Lucy Fraser's the prisons minister. Prisons minister, that they've now abandoned the old for new and Victorian prisons will remain open and they just give us an extra 156 million for repairs in Victorian jails. Just because it's a Victorian jail doesn't mean it's a bad jail. It just needs that investment to stop the infrastructure from crumbling. So she announced that one day and then the next day someone from the MOJ announced that Dartmoor, which is a Victorian jail, will be closing in 2023 which was announced in 2013 that it had a 10-year shelf life. Of course, Dartmoor is owned by the Duchy of Cornwall, and Prince Charles wants it to remain open as a prison. He's adamant. So we sought clarity on this, and apparently negotiations between the MOJ and the Duchy of Cornwall are ongoing, and no decision has been made unofficially. But we're still waiting for a formal announcement to that effect, and obviously Lisa Fraser has got it wrong. Uh, wow. We're still hopeful that we can keep Dartmoor open. Dartmoor is one of the safest jails in the country. It does a fantastic job. A lot of experienced staff. They're very community-orientated. There's no reason for Dartmoor to close. It's one of the best in the country. And are you pro the new builds? Because, you know, I see the argument for some of these old Victorian prisons that are falling down, quite frankly, and don't feel particularly safe to be in. You know, I was in one the other day and I was like, I'm just not sure it's going to remain standing for much longer. Um, so where do you sit on building new ones? Because, as you say, you know, these Victorian prisons, some have great regimes, but the buildings aren't brilliant. And then you can have a big, flashy new prison like Berwyn, but then you have problems... Um, with the regimes and what's going on in them. So where do you as a union sort of sit on the building new prisons? We don't mind them building new prisons, but we're against Titan prisons the same size as Berwyn. We told them that it wouldn't work and it hasn't worked. The problem with building new prisons under a Tory government is they're all going to be private. And making a profit out of someone's incarceration is morally repugnant, it's abhorrent, and we're dead against it, which is probably why the private sector don't like giving us recognition rights because of the things I say publicly, but at least I'm being honest with them. Private prisons are wrong. It should be the responsibility of the state. And we've already been told that the three private prisons, the three new-built prisons, Wellingborough, Glen Parver, and one at Full Sutton, they will all be, be run by the private sector. But what's more galling, not only for me, but every taxpayer should be up in arms about it, is we are going to fully fund that. So the taxpayer will build the new prison, and it'll be handed over to profiteers to run in the public sector. We're not even allowed to bid for that contract. Yeah, I feel like that part of the prison story doesn't get told enough in our newspapers. And it's the kind of thing that, you know, I often talk to my friends and, um, you know, people who are interested in prisons when we're chatting, it, you know, over a drink or something, and I tell them that bit, and they go, oh, wait, hold on. 
And you're like, yeah, exactly. So, you know, this argument is not just about prisoners. It's not just about crime. It's not just about murder and rape. You know, there's a, a whole complex thing going on here. And the economics of prisons are really important. Yeah, we want modern facilities because we want prisoners to live in decent conditions. We want staff to work in decent conditions. But prisons are not for profit. You know, and all private sector are interested in is the share prices. So they will put profit before safety, before the safety of their staff, and before the safety of prisoners. And we've seen it time and time again. There's only 14 private prisons in the country. But four of those are in the top ten for the most violent prisons. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Look at the stats. And we've highlighted this in Parliament time and time again. But all we get from this government is, well, you know, there's a place for privatisation and we need a mixed market. Well, if they're true to the word and they want a mixed market, then out of those three new-built prisons, we should get at least one of them, shouldn't we? But we're not even allowed to bid. And the taxpayers should rightly be angered that they're funding a new build prison, which will be handed entirely over to a profit-making company. And when those particular prisons are really unsafe, um, I remember a few years ago turning up to a prison and all the officers were standing outside and they were striking because of the conditions inside that prison. Is it legal or illegal to strike? And what are your views on, on that? It's been illegal for prison officers to strike since 1994 under the Criminal Order and Justice Public Order Act of 1994. So it's illegal for us to take any form of industrial action. But where do we go? I always say that we are the most restricted trade union in the universe because we've got no human rights. I can't even instruct my members not to work overtime. I can't tell them not to do tasks that they volunteer to do for which they'll get no monetary compensation from the employer. So, for example, a lot of employers, if you're first aid trained, give you an extra £500 a year because that's an extra skill. If we're first aid trained, we don't get any extra. If we're trained to deal with riots, we don't get any extra. They're all voluntary tasks. We're that restricted as a trade union. I can't say to my members, don't volunteer to do those tasks because your employer is not going to pay you extra for it. That is classed as industrial action. That's classed as me inducing people to take industrial action and inciting people. So we're the most restricted trade union on this planet and we feel that it breaches our human rights. It's a basic human right of any worker to withdraw their labour if they feel aggrieved. And when we do take action, it's over our health and safety. Because if we're going into work and we're getting attacked day after day after day and nothing's changing because nobody's listening to us, where else do we go? If nobody's listening, what do we do? And just to reiterate, the assaults on staff in the last five years have trebled. They're at the highest level ever. You're listening to Justice with Edwina Grosvenor. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Say there's a prison, uh, the officers walk out, it's too unsafe, either because of the violence or because of the state of the building or both. You get a message from someone saying, uh, you know, your members have to get back in. What happens if they say no? Do they all get the sack? Because you can't just sack a load of officers from a prison. Because, so what happens then? Well, on the September the 14th last year, 2018, we took what we classed as protest action to highlight our health and safety concerns. And that was after Bedford had just been given an urgent notification. Assaults were sky high, assaults on staff. And enough was enough, our jails were not safe. So we took protest action under health and safety legislation. And instead of our employers sitting down with us around a table to sort out the issues we had, they decided that they were gonna run us into court and injunct us. And that's what usually happens when we take protest action. It could be one jail, it could be nationwide. Right, so the injunction says you've got to get back in, or if you don't... I'm liable to arrest, imprisonment and fine. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Um, last year we did a deal with the prisons minister, Rory Stewart, who's a decent guy, in a coffee shop in central London. And the agreement was we'll send our members back in if you get the employer to sit down with us, take us seriously about the issues we face and roll out parva. Call off the court action and we'll get them back in. And he agreed to that. He called off the court action. He said, I can guarantee you'll get a meeting with the directors and we'll sit and discuss the issues you have. And his words were, I'm on the same page with you over Parva, which when a prisons minister says that to you, you know you're on a winner. So we made our way to the High Court to let our barristers know that there wasn't going to be any action, only to find out that his message to us got lost in translation and they were still insistent that they were going to injunct us. So it eventually got sorted out. Rory Stewart was true to his word. And uh, we got our members back into work. The benefits we got from that was we got the rollout of Parva, which is going too slow because of the criteria, again, that our employer has insisted upon, which we don't agree with. How many prisons has the ability to use Parva spray? Right, so at the moment... And the, for our listeners, can you just explain what Parva spray is, just yeah, for the people who Yeah, Parva is a, a pepper incapacitant spray that the police use to deal with violence, and all that does is it stings your eyes, makes your eyes burn, makes your eyes water. Right. No long-lasting effects at all. You know, 
lasts about 20 minutes, but what it does do, it quells violence, it acts as a deterrent and protects prisoners and staff. So we got an agreement which was announced last October that we would roll out Parva to the closed adult male estate from January 2019. It's now a year later. And besides the four pilot sites that originally had it, we've now got two sites that are live with it because our employer is dithering and stalling and placing criteria on the health and safety of our members. I held a meeting with Robert Buckland, the new Secretary of State, a couple of weeks ago and left him in no doubt as to our feelings about the slow progress in the rollout of Parva. And I'm presently waiting for him to get back to me to decide if he's going to scrap that criteria and just get it out there. Because what really annoys me and my members is when you hear chief constables come out in the public and say, we've had enough of our police constables getting assaulted, they're facing unprecedented levels of violence. And if they want to be issued with taser, we're going to give them it. Well, we're facing unprecedented levels of violence and we have done for years. Yeah, but we all know police are uh, vote winners, don't we? And uh, there's no votes in prisons with an up-and-coming election. You know, it's, no it's very political, isn't it? There's no getting away from it. There's no votes in prisons because what happens behind that grey wall, nobody knows about, unless it's smuggled out on YouTube because of a prisoner's illegal mobile phone. Yeah. Actually, on that note, that brings me uh, nicely on to my next subject that I wanted to talk to you about, which is corruption. It's always struck me that, you know, when you go to an airport, you get on an aeroplane, no one, um, well, you can't argue about the fact you've got to go through the beepers. I beep every single time I go through them, which is amazing because I can say I have never tried to smuggle drugs onto an aeroplane. So it struck me as quite a good idea to go through beepers or scanners when you go into a prison in the american prisons that i've worked in there's no doubt about it you have to go through them right because people have firearms and all sorts of things so what's your view on the the scanners and where are we up to on them well funnily enough it's down to the campaigning from the poa that over 100 million pounds has been secured to aid security in prisons and we've always maintained that you should be searched in a similar way you are searched when you go on holiday at an airport. And are you talking about friends and family and staff? There's always a discrepancy about that. You know, some of the scanners that are in, only the friends and family go through. But for me, it's like, no, every single person, including the governor, should go through the same security, no? Yeah, what I'm saying is every time anybody enters a prison, they should put their belongings through an X-ray machine. They should walk through a metal detector archway they should receive a rub-down search from staff. They should get metal detected, wandered. And if we suspect that they are trafficking anything, they should be placed on a body scanner. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Right. Well, that seems sensible. Yeah, but that costs a lot of money because what you've got to do is you've got to buy the equipment and you've got to train the staff and recruit the staff to do it. And whenever you go into any prison in Scotland, that's what happens. Because they have dedicated staff whose sole duty is to search at the gate. We haven't got that. It's all right saying we've got a hundred million pound investment in body scanners and x-ray machines to put at the gate. A hundred million doesn't buy you a lot of body scanners. There's 120 prisons and a body scanner costs about a hundred thousand pounds. Do the maths. It's a lot of money. I'm not very good at maths, <laughs> but it's a lot of money. I've had some interesting conversations with um, prison officers when I've asked them and governors their views on it. And, and there definitely has been a couple of people who've said, 
something about it's against their human rights to have to go through a scanner, which strikes me as slightly odd. Well, if you've got nothing to hide, (laughs) why would you worry? Well, so that was, that's, yeah, kind of what I thought. I'd be quite happy. I love it when I go into the high security estate and I'm searched. Exactly, and you get your fingerprints taken. I take my shoes off. Yeah, exactly. You go through security and you've barely got any clothes left on. I want that (laughs) in every jail. That's what I want. Because it makes sense. It's a prison, for God's sake. Well, and also when I'm working in the prisons, when you're in the prisons, you know, we all want to feel safe. You know, it makes sense. Tell me about the tornado teams, which are the teams that go get drafted into a prison when a riot, something's kicking off. Um, Do they get paid overtime? Because I know that they can be on call, can't they? So over a weekend or something, a prison officer volunteers to become part of the tornado team. So I'm tornado trained uh, and what's called a commander of a tornado unit. So what we do is we volunteer to be tornado trained to deal with riots and disturbances. You go away for five days at one of our national use of force centres and you'll learn how to deal with the riots and go through all the drills. Very intense course. And then you come back and you're then part of that tornado response for your prison, which are all split into regions. And you deal with what comes up. But when you're put on standby, you're not paid. So I could get a phone call at home saying, you know, we've got intelligence to suggest that one of the prisons in our area may be having difficulties and we may need to respond so we're putting you on standby at home but i'm not paid i'm only paid from the time i'm called out to the time i get back and a a lot of the difficulties with that is so for example if i was an eight hour shift today and then a riot kicked off somewhere we would respond to that i might not get back till three o'clock tomorrow morning if then i say to my employer well I've not been back till three o'clock in the morning. I'm due on duty at seven. Obviously, I can't go on duty because I need some rest. They would then insist that the shift I'm about to work, after me fighting rioters all night, the hours would get taken off me. So instead of honouring the shift and treating me like a decent human being and showing your appreciation for putting my life on the line, they will take the hours off the shift you're supposed to work the next day. Now, the benefit for that is you get paid a tornado rate of pay for your response, but only for the hours after your shift, which is £24 an hour. Right, in comparison to what per hour? Well, the overtime rate at the moment is £22 an hour. Okay. And out of interest, because you hear a lot about the tornado teams going into the adult male prisons, how often do they get and have they ever gone into a women's prison? There has been disturbances in female establishments where tornado has been called and teams have gone in, but I cannot recall any riots. So yeah, you don't hear about it very Tornado often. could get called for a variety of reasons. And I know that we have a, a national tactical response group, so they'll get called out to every incident, incident to height hostages. And uh, I'm aware of a few hostage incidents where they've been called out to the female estate Mm. and incidents at height. Riots in the female estate, not so often. Well, no. And we know that sort of over what is it? I think the stat is 82% of women are in prison for nonviolent crimes anyway. So it's quite a nonviolent group of people. Of course, there are violent women in there. um, But generally speaking, nothing compared to the adult male estate. But concerningly, when you look at the stats, violence in female estate is getting worse. Violence to themselves or violence against against staff? Against staff, yeah. 
well, it's all, getting worse. All the, the bad data is kind of going up, isn't it? It is, yeah. Even the self-harm in men. And it's predominantly the women that self-harm, isn't it? But I know that it's, it's increasing with the male prisoners as well. Yeah, self-inflicted deaths at the moment have spiked again, which is really concerning because they went down at one stage. We don't know why they're going up. Yeah, we could have a good guess though, couldn't we? We could. Con <laughs> conditions, lack of staff, too many people with mental health, mental health issues in jails, not conducive to their needs, lack of care in the community, lack of investment. We could go on and on. Mm. Tell me something about the elderly prisoners, because that's the group of prisoners that has really exponentially spiked, hasn't it? It is, and we're getting more and more elderly prisoners, mainly because of historical sex cases, but obviously longer sentences, people age. We can't meet their needs. We can't meet the needs of the elder, elderly. We can't meet the needs of those with mental health conditions because we quite simply don't get trained to do that. If you are lucky, you get three hours mental health awareness training. Three hours? Three hours. Now, I've never done that training. I've been in a job over 27 years. I've never done that. So if you're lucky, you get that. But our members, they're not trained to deal with people with dementia, you know, and mobility needs. And the problem you've got in prisons is the healthcare provision has been outsourced. So now you've got private companies like Virgin Health and Care UK who are coming into prisons, who are not meeting the service level agreement, who are not delivering as they should be delivering, who are struggling to recruit staff. And it's an absolute disaster. And it may surprise the public to learn that the majority of prisons do not have 24-hour healthcare cover. So in the middle of the night, if I've got a prisoner in distress and there's no nurse on site, I then phone this helpline, who predominantly tell me to phone an ambulance. So then you have the added pressure of trying to get at least two staff to take a prisoner to hospital in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. Now, when you think staffing levels in our prisons are extremely low and unsafe, and we've highlighted this time and time again, that puts immense pressure on the estate because you could be working in a prison locking up a thousand prisoners, but during the night you could only have six staff on duty. It's quite clearly not enough because if you take two of them out to escort a prisoner to a hospital, you've only got four on duty to look after a mm. thousand prisoners. That's not safe. So speaking of the um, elderly prisoners, the other thing that you guys are very interested in changing is the retirement age for prison officers. It is, yeah. Uh, Pre-2015, we had a retirement age of 60. That got increased to 68 by the coalition government. And why was that? I can imagine that it was because there aren't enough numbers of officers and they needed them there for longer, or what no. do you think the driving force behind that was? The driving force was... strikes me as yeah. quite old to be yeah. in quite a physically demanding, dangerous job. The driving force behind that was something called the Hutton Review, Lord Hutton did a review of public sector pensions, never put us in the same bracket as the police and the fire service, so never classed us as a frontline service, classed us as desk-bound civil servants and said it was acceptable for us to work in that environment until we were 68. He quite clearly made a mistake. We want him to apologise and put it right. We want government to put it right. I go on record as saying that we work in the most hostile and violent workplace in Western Europe, 
which we do. Physically and mentally, we cannot work on the landings in our 60s. So my fight will continue until we get pension justice. And pension justice is giving every frontline prison officer the opportunity to retire with dignity age 60, with no abatement to what they've accrued in their pension pot. So for our listeners who might have never been into a prison, they know nothing about what life on the wing might be like other than, you know, from what they might have seen in sort of recent documentaries. Can you paint a picture of maybe a day, you know, you're in your mid-60s, what kind of thing could that prison officer, male or female, be doing if things sort of kick off or even if things don't kick off, just to paint a picture for them? Well, if it, you're in your 60s and you've got health issues, you've got to negotiate vast amounts of staircases because we quite often have prisons where landings are four or five high. You've got a predominantly younger, more violent prison population. You may have to get involved in restraining a violent 21-year-old when you're in your mid-60s which is very, very stressful and just not practical. So you've got all these pressures, all these stresses, all this violence, and you're expected to deal with that in your 60s. And what I would say to people is, would you want your grandparents rolling around the floor with a violent 21-year-old prisoner? I wouldn't want mine doing that. So what does the next 10 years look like for the POA? Um, you know, Christmas is coming up. What would be uh, Mark's wish list from Santa? Well, my wish list from Santa would be to have a government in power who give us our right to strike back, retain our retirement age to 60, end privatisation, and give us an above-inflation pay rise year on year to encourage people to join and to stay in a job and just respect us, respect what we do, and stop interfering. Let us on the landings do what we do best, and that's meet people's needs, control them, and try and make a difference to their lives. So when they do enter society, the law abiding citizens and contribute. It's, it's sort of painting a slightly bleak picture. Would you advise young people to go into a career in the prison service? I joined the job in 1992, and I was very proud of the job I did. We had staff everywhere. It was great. The prisoners gave you respect. They respected authority. We formed good relationships. The way it's gone now because of the cuts, I would hate it if my children wanted to join the prison service. And I admire people who join in these present times with violence against them at record levels. I really do admire them. Whether they do that as a stepping stone to a better career, whether they'll last, only time will tell. But unless that pe people start listening to the POA, who are the voice of experience, reason, nothing will change, and everybody's got their own ideas. Give us the resources we need. Give us the staff and levels we need. Get pride back in the service. Support us. Don't demonise us. And give people a chance. But at the moment, would I recommend the prison service as a career? I'd recommend it if you want a challenge and you want to deal with violence every day. If that's your cup of tea, then you'd be great at it. 
long term things need to improve i don't know how we can compete with other public sector bodies who come out and publicly support their staff when they deal with violence who give them the protective equipment they need who have a pay progression structure in place to incentivize them i don't know how we can compete with that unless we match that so if anyone wants to join the job we welcome you because we need you. Would I recommend it? I'll let people watch the TV programmes and listen to this podcast and they can decide for themselves, but there are safer, better paid careers out there, more challenging than patrolling the landings, wondering, is this the day I'm going to get stabbed? Is someone going to spit in my face? Is someone going to throw feces and urine over me? If I protect myself from violence will I get suspended will they try and dismiss me there's no support the morale is at rock bottom and that needs to change there needs to be a change of culture at the top because I want prisons to be safe for everyone I want prisoners to leave our care with hope with a chance to gain employment and contribute to society we are in crisis but we have the solutions. The POA is part of the solution, not part of the problem. Links relevant to this episode can be found in the pod notes below. If you enjoyed listening, we would love it if you would subscribe. Also rate, review and best of all, share this episode. Justice is co-produced for One Small Thing by the London Podcast Company and Pencil Agency. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.